Happy New Year and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor of Investors Chronicle and Guy Anderson, Manager of Mercantile Investment Trust. As you build your investment portfolio, there may be opportune moments at which to allocate to your chosen areas. So each year, we highlight a number of areas that could be good to add to your portfolio if they're relevant to your personal asset allocation in our fun tips for the year. Dave, you put our fun tips for 2020 together. So first of all, what kind of investment environment can we expect in 2020? Hi, Leonora. Uh, it's always risky trying to predict these things, isn't it? But um, hopefully we may not have as stellar a year as last year, but we should still, a lot of people expect us to see a sort of slow and steady rise in markets. Conditions look like they should be fairly favourable. So you should expect to still have kind of loose monetary policy, which should, you know, boost markets. Um, you've also got some potential positive changes. So late last year, we saw signs of an easing in the trade war between the US and China, which has been a bit of a difficulty for markets over the last couple of years. So that should help lift things up. Okay, so um, bearing all this in mind, um, what areas are looking attractive? So as I mentioned, there is the, the trade war easing, but another positive political development that a lot of people have been focusing on is the idea of greater certainty around UK equities. Obviously, Brexit has dogged this market um, in recent years, but given the events of late last year with the election, Boris Johnson having a greater majority, we may now see a clearer picture. Okay. I mean, can you elaborate on a bit on this? Because I, I, I was under the impression that there was still uncertainty about <laughs> UK equities. Yeah, it's, it's a mixed picture, really. On the one hand, there's still uncertainty. So you still have a risk of a cliff edge Brexit at the end of 2020. You still have plenty of uncertainty. You still have um, the, you know, the fact that Brexit will be a, a long and rocky process. But on the other hand, um, with Boris Johnson having a larger majority, he arguably has um, more leeway to get Brexit through the door and Anything that gives investors a greater sense of certainty around this market should boost sentiment. Uh, we saw a bit of that late last year, although, as I mentioned, it's been rocky. We saw sterling rise a lot and then come back. But what many people have argued is with this greater certainty, we should now see international investors who've fled the UK market since the referendum results in 2016 come back in. And that should help boost prices and just give everything a slightly firmer footing than it's had in recent years. Okay, so there's um, greater certainty, but let's say things are far from good. What are the risks? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are the risks uh, of UK equities? The risks are just uh, that this volatility is unlikely to go away. As I mentioned, you've... Uh, seen some big gains on the, uh, I suppose, immediately after the election in December. You saw sterling make big gains. You saw domestic facing companies enjoy really big uh, share price rises. But then shortly after that, when uh, it became clear that um, cliff edge Brexit was still a risk, you saw sterling pair back a lot of those wins. So as we still face, you know, uncertainties around Brexit. You can still see a lot of volatility. You can see sterling move up and down a lot and the effects that will have on different areas of the market. Um, so it's it's not going to be a kind of 
straight move upwards. Okay. I mean, if you can tolerate these risks, um, what funds might be a good way to access UK equities? Obviously, one reason investors like the UK is as a good source of equity income, tends to provide more income than other markets. Um, one option here uh, that's done very well in uh, in recent years and looks well positioned for um, what's coming ahead is the Royal London UK Equity Income Fund. It's done very well in the last at least five years versus its peers. Perhaps more importantly, though, it's well diversified across the market cap spectrum. So that should give it a bit of a buffer um, when we do see these kind of moves of sterling and these differences in how different parts of the market perform. But what's also interesting is it's a fund that has good exposure to the mid-cap space. And this is an area that has um, done well as the um, outlook for sort of domestic parts of the market looks better. And if we see more of a kind of Brexit-related boost, that could continue to perform well. Now, Guy, Mercantile Investment Trust is also focused on UK mid-caps, but perhaps until recently these had been out of favour. That said, these and other parts of the UK market had a bit of a bounce after the election. Why was this? And can UK equities, in particular mid-caps, presume an upward trend in 2020? Good morning. Yes, I think it's fair to say that UK mid-caps specifically have been out of favour since the EU referendum due to the greater perceived risks to the domestic economy. But it's always important to think about reality versus perception. And and as anyone who's looked at it will, will know, the reality has actually been far better than the perception. And we've seen that in the returns generated by this part of the market. In terms of why the market's done better recently, Clearly, as Dave mentioned, there is greater certainty or greater probability rather of a smooth transition through Brexit now that there is a a government in place that has a more substantial majority. Um, But also, I think it's it's fair to note that the major tail risk of having an extreme left-wing government has been removed. And so that in of itself um, will lower and has lowered the risk premium applied across the market. So that's why um, it wasn't just domestic-facing stocks that that moved up post post the election. In terms of where we go from here... um, our view actually is 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 pretty similar i think i think the outlook for the domestic economy uh has improved post the election result um in part because of that greater majority in government which should mean a smoother process to brexit there are risks to that but if we start to progress in that direction i think we will start to see consumer confidence which has been lagging the reality of uh, consumers' uh, wage growth um, could start to converge. We could see increased consumption, which would obviously, in, a, in an economy that is heavily driven by consumption, um, could uh, prove uh, a boost to our economic growth. Okay. Now, for the past few years, Mercantile Investment Trust had typically traded at a high single digit or at times double digit mm. discount to net asset value. But over the past few months, it's tightened considerably. I mean, was that due to the recent bounce in UK equities or what's been driving that? Yes, so so you're, you're absolutely right. I think over the last three years, the discounts averaged about 
about 10%, whereas it stands, as you said today, it's, a, it's, it's around sort of a 2 to 3% discount. Um, the move in that discount actually somewhat preceded the general election. So it, it, it started sort of in earnest, I think, in, in mid-October, which was um, actually uh, sort of the, the day that um, Boris Johnson met Leo Varadkar and they, they announced the potential of, of this, this Brexit deal. And what we saw, I think, was generally a range of investors, both domestic, but also some of those international investors who've been staying away from the UK market, begin to increase their allocation um, to UK equities and specifically to those that are perceived to be more domestically facing. Um, and as as an investment trust that focuses on mid and small cap and clearly mid cap being more domestically focused um, than, than the, the wider market, um, Mercantile was a beneficiary of that. Okay. Um, but isn't there a risk that when the reality sets in of markets and investors, the best that's likely to happen in the next year is a hard Brexit and there's actually a very real risk of a no real Brexit, but the prices of the stocks that you invest in and other UK stocks will crash back down and the trust share price will follow? So that's a great question. So, of course, it's very difficult to predict still from this point, while, while I think all of us can, can say a stronger majority in Parliament should lead to or has the potential to lead to a, a, some sort of Brexit deal that's not guaranteed in any way, shape or form. And of course, with potentially a, a, a time limit on any negotiations, that increases the risk further, albeit it might it might improve the negotiating position. Um, so I think it is a risk that there will be a hard or a cliff edge Brexit. Of course, the best possible outcome, in my mind, from a market's perspective, would be a, a relatively soft exit and a more seamless transition. For me, the thing that I have to be very alive to is is managing the risks in the portfolio. So of course, it's about focusing very much on the stock specifics, so the fundamentals of each individual company in which we invest and how they can manage those risks and then managing the overall exposure of the portfolio so that it's still a diversified portfolio as it sits today around 80 holdings um, so that if we do get some sort of shock, uh, it's not uh, too painful. What are the other risks that UK equities face? There are uh, a whole host of geopolitical concerns that uh, that could uh, could cause further risks. The the, the trade tensions or tra- trade wars between the U.S. and China have been a, a major issue um, over the last twelve to twenty four months, and clearly we saw that impacting global economic growth through the second half of last year, in particular. Um, any escalation of those would obviously be 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 painful. In reverse, of course, if they do de-escalate, that could prove. Uh, positive for markets. Um, I think it's worth noting we are at a later point in the economic cycle. It's hard to know what causes the end of the cycle. And at this point in time, again, as as Dave Dave already mentioned, monetary policy is pretty easy. um, And so that is highly supportive of risk assets. And inflation is clearly very subdued and has been for an extended period of time. Either of those changing could, of course, have an adverse impact on markets. Okay, um, I mean, bearing all this in mind, are domestic-facing UK companies good value? So I believe they are. I mean, if, if if we look at the UK market as a whole, first of all, it's trading on around a 30 to 35% discount to the MSCI world market. Now, the UK market always trades at a discount, but that is roughly double the, the, the 30-year average discount. So the overall market is looking cheap relative to other 
stock markets. And then specifically, if we look at the domestic facing businesses within the UK market, um, they, they look to be trading at about a 10 to 15% discount to those that are more internationally facing. So I think the the UK market as a whole is cheap relative to international markets and the domestic facing businesses are cheaper still. And then for me, crucially, the change that we could see, we haven't seen yet, but the change that we could see, which could be um, if, if consumers feel more optimistic about the outlook and therefore if consumer confidence improves, we could see spending increase and, and thus move closer towards um, the underlying wage growth that consumers are, are experiencing. And therefore, those domestic facing businesses could do better than the market is currently expecting. And do any sectors in particular offer interesting opportunities? Yes, I think they do. In the portfolio, what's quite interesting is that that actually the UK is not particularly well known for technology, technology software. That's all viewed to be something that comes from the US. Mm. But actually looking back over the last five or 10 years, um, technology has been one of the most attractive areas for us to invest in in the portfolio and has generated some of our some of our best returns. It is only about 10% of the portfolio, but it has been, been meaningful in terms of the contribution to the returns. Um, but also other areas that are more domestic focusing and particularly some of the consumer facing businesses businesses in which we're investing um, have, I, I believe, um, pretty pretty uh, strong businesses and where, where we, we see the opportunity, as I said, for, for the actual outcome for those businesses to be better than the market's currently expecting. And even within that, that part of the market, retailers are, are a much maligned sector within the UK where, where, of course, everyone is fully aware of the structural challenges that a lot of those businesses face. That's actually been one of the sources of best returns for mercantile over the last few years, even in this, this period of pretty painful economic uh, environment for, for domestic consumption. Um, and so we continue to see opportunities there as well. Okay. And what would be examples of um, some of these domestic facing stocks that mercantile holds? Sure. So, so one, one of the largest holdings in the portfolio is actually a house builder, so Bellway. Um, so that's a, a very sort of regionally uh, diversified uh, house builder. So it operates across the country. Um, it's what I would describe as a mid-sized house builder. And one of the reasons it's a large holding for us is that it, they have the business has proved itself to be strong allocators of capital through the cycle. Because of course, house building is a cyclical industry. And it's very important that a house builder buys land, which they have to buy clearly, you know, many years before they actually sell the property, they buy that land at the right price, so that they can then build and sell it and earn attractive returns. And they've been very, uh, they've proved themselves to be very effective at that, at that. So that's, that's one example. Another example, again, sort of more domestically facing business uh, would be Dunelm, the retailer so the home furnishings retailer um which uh is under i I would describe them as relatively new management having had a change in management not too long ago and one of the focuses there of the business and and i quite like this phrase is is a real focus on what they call operational grip so it's really focusing on the basics of retail because you know retail really is about the minutiae it's about the detail of operating the business and that's a business that has a strong position within the market. It's a relatively fragmented market of home furnishings. They have one of the leading positions. Um, and we believe 
they should be able to generate continued sales growth, uh, particularly if consumption picks up. But even in the in the absence of that, they've been generating pretty good sales growth, and we think that focus on that operational grip has the, has the potential to feed through into an Im- improving profit margin. Okay, and I mean overall. Um how exposed is mercantile to um, I suppose domestic shares? So, so if we look at the portfolio on a, a revenue look-through basis, because we can't really do it on an earnings basis because of the disclosure by companies, but on a revenue basis, uh, 56% of the revenue uh, would be sourced domestically and then 44% uh, internationally. And just for context, um, if we look at the broader, um, the broader mid-cap market, um, that's around, we think on our estimates, around 53% is domestic. So we are what I would call uh, marginally overweight that domestic exposure, but not, you know, we're not making a huge statement in that exposure. But also then for context, it's worth noting that the FTSE 100 is, of course, only around you know, 25% or thereabouts um, domestic. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, what level of gearing, um, that's debt, does um, Mercantile have? And have you added to or reduced to invest at all recently? So, so, so the Investment Trust uh, issued uh, debenture back in 2000, which provides us with the capacity to go to around 8% geared um, as of this morning. Where we sit is uh, we are currently 4% geared, so we're using about half of that available capacity. And that is an increase from where we were. Um, in fact, through the majority of, of 2019, we were fully invested but ungeared, as we could see um, despite the fact that there were pretty strong returns generated by the market, we were um, somewhat cautious due to some of the political risks that we've that we've mentioned. Um, we increased that so that we were about two percent geared um, before the election, and then post the election, we've added another two percentage points to that gearing. So I think that positions us in a place where we are um, making a positive statement on our expectation for the market, but crucially leaves us with some additional capacity because again, you know, as, as you mentioned before, Dave, the market is unlikely to increase in a linear fashion through this year. There are always going to be setbacks and we want to be able to take advantage of those if they come. Okay. Now, another issue affecting Mercantile Investment Trust, uh, has been the departure last year of Martin Hudson, who is a co-manager on the trust. Have you added anyone else to the team to plug the gap? Yes, we have. And I, I think this is a this has been a transition that we've managed um, reasonably well over, over a number of years. So I look after the UK mid and small cap team, um, which is made up of six individuals who work um, entirely on the UK mid and small cap market. So sort of dedicated specialists in this part of the market. Um, and as you said, Martin, Martin left um, last year and we did, we added a new resource, a, a, a graduate joined, joined our team. And of course, it's important um, that we manage the team in a way that we have a range of, you know, the sort of the depth and the breadth of experience. Um, and I feel that we're, we're, we're well placed as, as we stand today. Okay, thank you, Guy. A really helpful update on the UK equity market and mercantile investment trust. Now, returning to our fund tips for 2020, Dave, you also suggested funds with a focus on issues such as environmental, social and governance, ESG. Uh, Why? It's a good question because um, obviously ESG as a theme has been around for many, many years. um, But I suppose the story for several years has been one of um, a lot of talk about ESG, but perhaps um, 
not as much interest in terms of actual money going into ESG funds, um, that kind of thing. Uh, but I suppose it's kind of, it's been building up in the last couple of years. And perhaps now we stand at a point where you're going to see more of a structural change. So you're going to see um, more investors entering the ESG space, but you're also going to see more funds and um, other investment vehicles that perhaps have more generalist approach, just taking ESG issues seriously. So a good argument for looking at ESG, if you don't do that already, is that um, companies with good ESG metrics could now benefit because they start to be favoured over ones with uh, less good metrics. And I suppose it's also good for uh, uh, lots of issues that people care about now. Okay, and and what might be a good way to get exposure to these themes? So there's a good amount of, of funds focusing on these issues. One fund that provides a broad form of exposure um, would be WHEB Sustainability. So this is a global equity fund. It looks at companies that have long-term solutions or look to bring long-term solutions to kind of issues like, for example, moving to a lower carbon economy. So it should be able to capitalise on that uplift that I mentioned. Also an interesting argument is that it's providing um, a form of diversification against your other equity exposure because more conventional equity funds might have, um, I suppose, more exposure to the older economy, whereas this is a new new area. Guy, Mercantile Investment Trust doesn't set out to be an ethical fund in terms of its objectives. However, JP Morgan Asset Management's ESG team assesses how companies deal with and report on social and environmental risks and issues specific to their industry. Can you explain a bit more about what this involves and, and how it affects your investment process? Sure, absolutely. So, so one of the, the things that we've focused on for quite a long time is the governance angle of, of ESG. And uh, that's an area where, as, as part of the team that meets n- roughly 300 management teams every year, we take a pretty, pretty active interest in how they're managing the business, um, both from a governance perspective, but of course, more, more broadly. And so it's I think it's safe to say it has always formed a component of our analysis when we're lo- when we're looking at companies, and we we don't shy away from giving feedback when we think it's um, when we think it makes sense. And it has undoubtedly helped helped us in terms of the returns generated, because you know whilst ESG might be thought of you know, as something that's building in momentum, it's always been important to understand, um, for instance, how regulatory trends are changing and evolving and the impact that they have on different industries you know whether that be you know a good example would be the gambling industry which of course has has been subjected to to a number of changes over the last couple of years and understanding how that's evolving and therefore how we should position the portfolio has has definitely helped the returns the ESG team specifically their role really is to industrialize that process um, for JP Morgan so that we can we can look systematically at every company looking at it through the same lens lens and considering the same same factors and so really it's about as I said industrializing that process so that we can compare all companies the same way and then what happens in terms of for our investment process we obviously continue looking at companies in the same way but we can now also draw upon 
that additional expertise um, to help us uh, make uh, make strong investment decisions. You sound like you're quite focused on the governance. Do you imagine that with the way things are going, perhaps the, um, the E and the S part of it might become a, a greater part of your investment process in future years? Yes, I mean, I, my my personal view is that um, this isn't a fad and this is something that is here to stay. We'll likely continue to gain momentum and so will become really an increased component of all investors' consideration going forwards. Okay, thank you, Guy. A really helpful explanation. Thank you. That brings us to the end of today's show, but have a look at this week's big theme for Dave's full list of themes and funds that could be good to add to in the year ahead. Also see the Portfolio Clinic in this week's Investors Chronicle or the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for some suggestions on how to generate income and growth without getting exposure to fossil fuel producers. And also see the magazine for our weekly in-depth coverage of the UK equity market. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.